But God's got some great things in store. And I asked the media team to put this word advance on the screen behind me to begin this message. It's not my title for today's sermon, but it's a word that I feel like God has spoken to us for this church for this year. I believe God wants us to advance in 2021. And I wanted you to just see it again because as I launch into this message today, I really do believe this is a word from God. I should hopefully say that every Sunday. But this is unique because I believe God is going to call us to do something in this next season of our church. And I just want to be candid with you and tell you it's going to be inconvenient. I believe God's calling us to do something that is hard. I believe God's calling us to do something in this next season that may be uncomfortable. So why don't you go ahead before I tell you what it is and tell somebody, I'm glad I came to church today. (laughs) Like... Yeah, this might be the last time you say that. So I want to call us into something, and I do believe that God wants you and I to advance to some new dimensions in our faith, to some new realities. And, and, you know, if you want to do something new, you got to do something new. You, You show me the last time that you were uncomfortable, and I'll show you the last time you grew. How many of you are familiar with the adage, no pain, no gain? That's what I'm talking about. And so if you have your Bible, I I want you to open with me to the book of Matthew. And I want to begin a two-week series that I'm calling Rhythms. Rhythms. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to communicate what the kingdom of God is like. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he communicates what the kingdom of God is all about and We're going to get to a verse in just a moment that's going to tip you off to the direction I'm heading. But let's start in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. It says, and when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and be seen by others. But truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, notice he said it twice now. He didn't say if you pray. Did you notice he didn't say for those that choose to pray? He's talking to those that follow him. And Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now go a little farther in the same sermon, point number two, down in verse 16, Jesus says this, when you fast, he didn't say if you fast, he didn't say for those that choose to fast, how many of you are starting to pick up on why I said I'm going to talk to you about something uncomfortable today, something hard today, something inconvenient today, that's right, I want to talk to you for a few moments about fasting. And Jesus goes on in this verse to say, don't look somber like the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others that they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. That's twice he said the same thing. In other words, here's the principle. Jesus is basically telling us, if you do spiritual activity for the sake of looking spiritual, that is unfruitful. It's unspiritual. If you do it just to be seen by others, then then that's your reward. I mean, if you open your Bible in the morning just to post it on Instagram, that's your reward. 
But he says, don't do it for those reasons. Because your father keeps great score. And the things that you do in secret, the father will reward you publicly. And then going a little farther in verse 17, he says, but when you fast, when, not if, put on, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's what I want you to understand. Jesus took for granted that his disciples would pray and that they would fast. He didn't say, I really think this is something you guys ought to try to work into your schedule. You ought to do this. No, he just said, I need you to know how to do it when you do it. Because he assumed that they all would, that we all would. Now listen, if you've never fasted before, I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm not discouraging. I want to encourage you. I want want this message to comfort you a little bit, but I want you to I wanted to convict you a little more. As your pastor, I feel called to comfort the afflicted. But I also feel called to afflict the comforted. And this message is probably the latter. I feel like God wants to stir some things up in your life and in my life because he wants us to move at the rhythm that his spirit is moving. How many of you understand there is a pace for grace? Jesus lived for 33 years, and at the end of 33 years, he was able to say, it is finished. Everything that I came to do is accomplished. In another place, Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me. I think about that verse, and I'm often reminded, I am not moving at the pace of grace. I always think about that verse when I, when I want to complain to God about how busy I am, when I want to complain about how much I have to do, when, when I want to start to tell him, about how heavy the load is that I'm carrying. And then, at the most inconvenient times, I hear the Spirit remind me of that scripture. Jesus said, I only do what the Father tells me to. And he also said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. And he carried the whole world on his shoulders. So how many of you know that there is a pace and a rhythm to freedom for those that follow Christ? Now, I didn't know when I was going to launch this series that I would be playing drums for worship this Sunday. That was just kind of a little irony. But in the same way that, that the drummer sets the tempo for all of the other musicians to play with, sets the pace, that's the way our relationship with the Spirit of God should be. That we ought to find the, the movement and the rhythm and the syncopation of the Holy Spirit of God so that we can move and thrive in our relationship with Christ. Just a little bit later in, in Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is having another conversation about fasting. And in Matthew 9 verse 14, it says, Then John's disciples came to him, Jesus, and they asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often? But your disciples do not fast. And Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is still with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. Not if, not some, they will. My people will fast. So it's very clear from Jesus' teaching and from many other places in Scripture that 
Our lives should include regular times of fasting. They should include regular times of prayer, and they should include regular times of reading the Word. And we can't just compartmentalize one of those disciplines from the others. Now, Jesus even taught in Mark chapter 9 that that sometimes spiritual battles are won through fasting and prayer. Now, now let me just slow down right here and say, I knew when I wrote this message, I wasn't preaching for amens. I am preaching for advance, though. So stay with me here, because there are some things that God does, and he prescribes that it can only be done with another level of intentionality. It can only be done at another level of pursuit, at another level of advance. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. He's having this incredible God moment, this manifestation of the glory of God. His face is shining with the brilliance of white. And then he comes down and he finds the other disciples. And they're arguing with the crowd. And the reason they're arguing is because there was a man whose son uh, had seizures and would often throw himself onto the floor and sometimes into the fire or into the water and, and... They believed that it was a demonic spirit that was oppressing this child. And they said, we ask your disciples to cast the spirit out, but they couldn't do it. And the Bible says Jesus got frustrated. He's he's angry. And he says, bring the child to me. And so they bring the child to Jesus, and he prays over him. He casts the spirit off of the little boy, and and he's raised up, completely made whole. A little while later, Jesus is in the house now, and he's with his disciples privately. And the Bible says they ask him this question, Jesus, why couldn't we cast the Spirit off that little boy? And in Mark 9, verse 29, Jesus answered in this way. He said, this kind can only come out by fasting and prayer. And I just wonder if there's anybody in this 1130 service that would say, you know, I got some things I've been praying about that I just can't win this victory. I got some things I've been asking God to do and it hasn't happened yet. I wonder if there's anybody here that's been struggling with a a, a power or a spirit or a principality that's, that's wreaking havoc in your life and you're wondering, God, why can't I shake this? Why can't I win this battle? And I'm wondering today, If the Spirit of Jesus is saying to some of you, this kind can only come out by fasting and prayer. See, this is what fasting is all about. Fasting brings vertical solutions to horizontal problems. Vertical solutions to horizontal problems. When when you get serious enough about what God can do, that you're willing to sacrifice what you want to do, you roll into another movement of faith. All of a sudden, your your faith begins to rise. Your expectation begins to rise. And the Bible is, is chock full of illustrations and scriptures and references of what God can and will do in response to faith. I don't have time to, to take you to all of them, but let me just mention a few. Increased effectiveness in ministry because of fasting. Anointing for signs and wonders and miracle follows seasons of fasting. Power for intercessory prayer. Spiritual discernment. Special guidance in situations where you don't know what to do. Financial provision. The the list is long of so many things that God does in response to a people that fast 
and pray. It's no wonder. I was reading earlier this week, John Wesley, he was a, a revivalist and a Methodist pastor in the 1700s. He was really the catalyst that God used for the revival that swept across England in his generation. And I read this week that John Wesley would not ordain anyone for the ministry that did not at least fast twice a week. I don't think I would have got my credentials, that's for sure. Just being honest with you. Preaching to me this morning too. And yet, over and again, we see in Scripture the importance of fasting in prayer. So listen, if fasting is a new concept for you, I don't want you to get nervous about today. Uh, You might be surprised to know this, though. We're actually in the season of the year that more people are fasting right now than any other time. It's true. We're in the Lent season. How many of you are familiar with celebrating Lent? Now, now I know as Assembly of God Church history, it's not something that, that we historically have celebrated or done, and I certainly did not grow up with the tradition of celebrating Lent, but last Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And so you may have seen people, or maybe you even you know, had ashes in the shape of a cross on your forehead, signifying the beginning of Lent. I, I saw an article this week, it made me laugh, you know, in this era of social distancing and COVID protocols, churches were trying to figure out how to put the ashes on people without touching their forehead with their finger. So the church in Europe made a Snapchat filter of a, of a cross just in ashes. You know, you, just, you don't even have to go to the church anymore. Just take a selfie with a filter. Isn't that funny? That's, that's what we've come to in 2021. You just get a, get a photo of the ashes on your forehead. How, how many of you had a false knot donut this week? Anybody? Any? You can admit, I know I'm preaching about fasting, but come on, don't be ashamed. I ate one too. That's a Pennsylvania Dutch tradition. But false knot is actually a translation of fasting night. So the idea of of the false knot is that we're going to go ahead and get all the sweets out of the house. We're going to eat all the junk food, eat all the lard, because we're about to get serious for Lent. We're about to start a fast. And so it's a season where people begin to fast. I felt impressed several weeks ago of the Holy Spirit to, to lead our church towards a fast. And, and I want to tell you, when I thought about it, I wasn't thinking about false knot day. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about Lent. That really wasn't even on my radar. What I was thinking about was Daniel. And I was thinking about 2021 and God's desire to advance his kingdom purpose in our lives. And so I want to invite you to go with me to the book of Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 1, and we're going to look at some things, but before we read the text any farther, I want to just be really clear with you about what I believe God is calling us to. I I don't want you to go through this message guessing where I'm going. I'm going to tell you where I'm going. I believe the Lord is calling us as a church into a 21-day Daniel fast. Now, I'll explain what a Daniel fast is in just a few moments, but, and it's not starting today, by the way. I'm not saying do this today, so if you got something in the crock pot, don't get nervous, all right? Today's not the beginning of a fast. Today's the beginning of preparation. Today's the beginning of prayer. Today is beginning to wrestle in your spirit and mind with what the Holy Spirit might be calling us to do. Today is where we begin to seek vertical solutions for horizontal problems. 
And I believe that God is going to direct you and I as a church family into a 21-day Daniel fast beginning March 7th through the 27th. Essentially, it would begin in the celebration of Purim, God's deliverance in Esther's day, to the celebration of Passover, God's deliverance in Moses' day, and ultimately through Christ. From March 7th to the 27th, but before we get into the text, let me, let me just dispel a couple potential myths about fasting. I don't know if you think these things, but I want to make sure you understand some things about fasting. Number one, a Daniel fast is a partial fast. In other words, it's not so much about how much food you eat. It's about what types of food that you eat. And we'll see that in the text. But understand this about a fast. A fast is about food. And I know a lot of people, you know, say, hey, I'm, I'm taking a fast from social media. I'm, I'm going to fast Instagram or I'm going to fast Facebook. And that's fine. That's good. That's probably healthy. In fact, you might want to do that during the, the Daniel fast. And, and that could be helpful for you to find a new rhythm of seeking the Lord. But understand this. Every time the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking about food. And so a Daniel fast is a food fast, but it's a partial fast. It's restricting your diet. It's not an absolute fast. Number two, understand this. Fasting is not about physical health goals or weight loss. Now, that might be a byproduct, and we'll see in the text that uh, Daniel looked healthier after he fasted, but it can't be the purpose. How many of you know how, e how easy it would be for our vanity to hijack a spiritual discipline? Come on, let's be honest. You, you could start like trying to put your grocery list together and do all this stuff, and then before long, it's all about recovering the beach body you lost in quarantine. You know, and it's not even about seeking the Lord anymore. You know, you just get up every morning and look into the mirror and sing how great thou art. Don't let your vanity hijack a spiritual discipline in your life. It's not about physical health goals or weight loss. Fasting is about drawing near to God. It's about crucifying the desires of your flesh to awaken the appetite of your spirit. I know I may have lost some of you already. I didn't even get to my text, and you're like, I ain't doing this. I don't know what's going on in this church. Last Sunday, they passed out cotton candy and peanuts during worship. I came for football Sunday, now you got me here for a message on fasting, man. Forget, forget this. Stay with me today. Because e even if you check out on the whole idea of a Daniel fast, and I do believe God's calling us into this, but even if you dismiss all that, I want you to know that the heart motivation behind this message is this. God has a rhythm that he wants you to tap into that's going to bring success in your life. And I'm not just talking about spiritual success. I'm talking about God shifting and moving things so that you can find the pace and the rhythm of his grace for you in this next season. God wants you to advance. And his solution is not just try harder. We've got to hear like Jesus did what the Spirit is saying. Jesus, or J James rather, said in James 4.8, if you'll come near to God, God will come near to you. Step one to any revival, come near to God, and God will come near to you. Let me tell you a third thing about fasting before we jump into Daniel 1. It's simply this. Fasting is not about twisting God's arm to get what you want. You need to understand that 
I, I know how all of us can, can be motivated by self more than anything else, but fasting is not about twisting God's arm to get what you want. I, I was reading some of the history this last week. September 16th, 1932, Mahatma Gandhi called a fast. It was actually a peaceful protest. He was frustrated with some of the decisions that the British government was making. And so he said, I'm not going to eat until they change the rule. And he called it a fast unto death. How many of you are glad pastor didn't hear God say, do a fast unto death? And, yeah, not feeling that word at all. Not doing a fast unto death. Let me tell you something, though. Number one, you're not Gandhi, okay? I'm not Gandhi. And number two, I can assure you, God is not the government. And so we can't twist his arm to get our way. That's not what a fast is. But you can submit your will. You can come under his will. And you can find and thrive in the pace and the purpose that he has for your life. And here's the confidence that we have when we fully submit and surrender our lives, even our own fleshly desires, to what the Spirit of God is saying. You can have confidence that his plan, his pace, his purpose for your life is the best plan. And you can move with confidence into what God has for you. Look with me in Daniel chapter, <clears throat> chapter number one. Before we read, you need to know that Babylon, all throughout Scripture, symbolizes worldly systems and worldly government. As we read about Babylon, know that it, it always typifies world systems and worldly kingdoms. In chapter one, the king of Babylon has besieged Jerusalem. Y'all bear with me. I'm still fighting this allergic, allergic cough. The idea for this besieging of Jerusalem was to take the best and the brightest that Jerusalem had. The, the, the young, up-and-coming men and to indoctrinate them into Babylonian culture, into a Babylonian belief system. <clears throat> and so they took the best and the brightest, and some of those that were taken from Jerusalem were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Teenagers dragged from their homes into a foreign land. Their appearance was changed. Their clothes were changed. They had to learn a new language. Even their names were changed. Daniel was referred to as Belteshazzar, and the other three were called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were put in this system for three years so that they could serve in the king's court, and the system even included a meal plan. You know, the more I thought about that, I thought, man, this sounds like our secular universities today, doesn't it? Like, we'll just put you in a different system, we'll indoctrinate you, and we'll feed you meals, and on the other side of it, we'll pump out young, thriving adults that can communicate our values and our beliefs. That was the ultimate goal, to get them to transition from their loyalties to the kingdom of God into the kingdoms of this world, namely Babylon. <clears throat> Look at verse 5 with me. Here's what it says. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the, king, the king's service. Now, I, I want to just read a lengthy portion of Scripture here, so stay with me in this text. 
Go down to verse 8, and here's what it says. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned you your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men of your age? The king would have my head because of you. Verse 11, so Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. Verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink, and they gave them vegetables instead. Now understand this. The motivation for Daniel doing this fast was not that they would look healthier and better nourished, though they did. The motivation was the first verse that I read there, verse eight, where it says, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. We won't take the time to go there, but Leviticus 11 gives a whole list of dietary laws for God's people, things they should eat, things they shouldn't eat, what's clean, what's unclean. And so Daniel had convictions about the food that he ate in correlation to the way that he served his God. And and, Considering all he'd been through, I mean, they changed his name, they changed his address, they changed his appearance, they changed his language. Sitting down and enjoying a good Babylonian meal maybe doesn't seem like a big deal. But Daniel saw it for what it was. Daniel recognized that this this little compromise here in eating the meat from the king's table is an entrance ramp down a long road of compromise. And so Daniel made a decision right there. He said, I am resolving today. I am not going to defile myself. The reality is David grew up in a culture that celebrated those values. David grew up in a world where people saw his his convictions about right and wrong. People saw his convictions about morality, and they applauded him for that. But Daniel's not living in Israel anymore. He's in Babylon And the things that people used to admire and the convictions that people used to laud and applaud, now they see as mutiny. They see as narrow-minded. They see as out of touch. How many feel like you're living in Babylon? Can anybody relate to this? The reality that, that the culture has shifted so far. And the reality is that inside the church as well as in the world, we're seeing concessions made right and left. My question for you today is, at what point do you recognize the table you're sitting at and the food you're being fed? And I'm talking about thoughts and ideas and convictions. At what point do you realize this is not a table I want to sit at? For Daniel, it was this moment. It was this meal. And he said, I I got to push back from the table. This is a stake in the ground moment in his life. This is a moment where he says, I, I won't cross that line. I mean, there's a lot of lines being crossed. And I can see the direction that the culture is trying to take me. But here's a line I won't cross. He put a stake in the ground. 
I think about Joshua, who led the children of Israel into the promised land and saw God do so many incredible things, but in the midst of that, he saw the people of God following after other false gods and worshiping graven images. And finally, he gets to the end of his life, senior adult, Joshua chapter 24, and he, he stands before the people of God. And he says to them, stop serving the gods that your ancestors served. Serve the Lord. And then he makes this statement in Joshua 24, 15. And I can just imagine he like takes his sword and just draws a line in the sand. He said, choose you this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It was that line in the sand moment that he recognized, hey, though none go with me, Still, I'll follow. No turning back. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to trust God. That was his line in the sand moment. I think about Shammah in 2 Samuel. Shammah was one of the Israelites. He was a farmer and a soldier. And every year, the Bible says that the Israelites would plow the ground and they would sow the seed and come harvest season. The Philistines would come in and they would steal the harvest. They would take their lentils out of the field. And every year they dealt with the same frustration. Every deal, every year they dealt with the same battle. And then finally this year, it's harvest time. The beans are ready. But here come the Philistines. And the Bible says in 2 Samuel 23 that all the Israelite troops fled again to the hills. Except for one. One guy made up his mind. And look at what it says in 2 Samuel 23, verse 12. But Shammah took his stand in the middle of the field. He defended it, and he struck the Philistines down, and the Lord brought about a great victory. And I'm just wondering today, church, what field the enemy has been coming and stealing away what God has promised you? What field in your life are you ready to just take a stand and say, no more? No more. For some of you, maybe it's the field of your family. And the enemy's been working overtime to bring division. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your, your children. And you say, you know what? I'm, not today. I'm going to stand in this field, and God is going to bring a great victory. For some of you, it might be your finances. And I believe that God is calling you, like Shammah, to, to take your stand. Calling you, like Joshua, to, to draw a line in the sand and say, no farther. As for me and my house, it stops today. Calling you to push back from a table like Daniel. I'm telling you, church, when we come to the place where we're willing to push back from the compromises on our convictions... Push back from the comforts, even the comfort foods, for the sole purpose of leaning in to what God is saying and what God is doing in your life. Faith is set in motion. God responds to faith. And I just believe that God wants to lead us into a season where people begin to say, as for me in my house. As people begin to say, I resolve not to defile myself. Where people begin to say, get your hands off my beans. Not today, Satan. 
Not today. It's that stake in the ground moment. When you look at Daniel's story, we see this decision, this moment, became a catalyst for so many more things that God wanted to do in his life. And I don't even think I need to spend time today giving you motivation for a fast. I might have to work a little harder to convince you to take one, but we don't need more motivation. Come on, look around this world. Look at where we're at, church. Can you believe we're just a couple weeks away from the one-year anniversary of mandatory quarantines and, and, and chaos that has ensued in our lifetime like we've never known before? Look at what's happening in, in the political spectrum. Look at what's happening nationally. And so much of, of what we're being force-fed, much of the church is just taking it in. Just, just whatever you give me, I'll just, whatever's a la carte today, I'll just take what you're giving me. But I believe God is calling some of us to move purposefully towards the heart of the Father. I don't know about you, but I'm going to fast in the month of March for a breakthrough over this coronavirus. I'm going to fast and pray and believe that God's going to bring an answer to some of the things that have been plaguing our society. Look with me at verse 17. It says in Daniel 1, 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge, understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Where did he get that ability? It says God gave it to him. God, this is what God does in response to persevering faith. Verse 18 says, At the end of the time that was set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief officials presented them to Nebuchadnezzar, the king. And the king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service. Verse 20, In every matter, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. You know, I was researching this, and that statement, ten times better, jumped out at me. Maybe you're familiar with the self-help book that Grant Cardone wrote a few years ago called The 10X Rule. The 10X Rule, the idea is basically that if you'll dream ten times bigger dreams and, and put in ten times more effort, you'll have a hundred times the opportunities. He, he used the analogy of the tortoise and the hare and basically says if there was a third person in the race, they both would have lost because you can't just move slow and steady like the turtle or run fast like the hare. You got to do both. I don't know. That might hype people up at a leadership convention, but how many of you think that just sounds exhausting? Be both. Just be the tortoise and the hare. That's how you get ahead. I don't know. I, I think rhythm includes Sabbath. And I thank God that he has his own 10X rule. And it's right here in the text. God's 10X rule is that if you'll seek me faithfully, if you'll pursue my heart, I'll bless you 10 times more. I'll bless you 10 times more. Daniel had a rhythm. There was a pace for following God. We, we get a glimpse of it in Daniel chapter 6. Many of you know the story. We won't take the time to read it, but in Daniel 6, 
there was an edict that was put out that no one should pray to any other god except to the king. And the only reason that edict was made was because those that disliked Daniel knew that he was a man of prayer. And so they made the edict and the king signed it with his signet ring. And then look at verse 10 of Daniel chapter 6. It says, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his hands and knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God. Can we read this last part together out loud? Just as he had done before. See, there was a rhythm to Daniel's life. He was 17 or 18 years old when he was taken into Babylonian captivity, but he's in his 70s or 80s now. I mean, for anybody that thinks like, you know, when you become a senior saint, you know, when you get some white hair, you know, your problems are over. You figured it out by then. Can I get a, a senior adult amen that that's not true? Come on. How many of you know we still, we still wrestle in our spirits, and at 70 and 80 years old, Daniel is facing the most difficult situation of his life. He's thrown into a den of lions, but God didn't save him from the lion's den because he cried out in a crisis. God saved him because he cried out continually. And when the circumstances were no longer favorable, nothing changed about Daniel's pursuit of God. It says, just as he had done before, Daniel sought the Lord. Now, as I bring this message to a close, I'm going to give you some specific directions in a moment. But I want to go to one more chapter in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 10. <clears throat> in Daniel 10, he has an incredible vision of a great war that's coming. God gives him some real spiritual insight <clears throat> into things to come, into what's going to happen next. But the word that God spoke to him came at the end of a 21-day fast. It's where we get this idea of a 21-day Daniel fast in 2021. It says in Daniel 10, verse 2 and 3, at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. How many days is that? 21 days. I ate no choice food. No meat or wine touched my lips and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. See, Daniel chose a 21-day period to physically fast so that he could advance spiritually. And God honored his pursuit. I, I wanna read just two more verses. We have to read these two verses because they give us a window into the reality of what's happening in the spirit realm. See, the truth is, you may or may not be as perceptive as somebody else, but the reality is none of us even have a glimpse of what's happening in the spirit realm right now. And we just get a little bit of a glimpse behind the curtain in verse 12 and 13, because Daniel's been praying for 21 days. <laughs> He's been in a season of fasting. He's been crying out to God. He's been looking for an answer. Maybe you felt this way before, but the answer is not coming. The solution is not there. And then an angel of the Lord appears to him and begins to speak to him. Verse 12, it says, Then he continued, 
the angel says, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. The first day. Listen, when you pray, God hears you. The first time. He hears you when you pray. And the angel says, I heard you the first time. God heard you the first time. And guess what? I had the answer. And I started coming with the answer. And at that point, we're all probably wondering what Daniel's wondering. What's taking so long? What's taking so long? And then he tells us. Look at verse 13. The angel says, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. <clears throat> He's explaining to Daniel that, that yes, God heard you when you prayed and, and he sent me with the answer, but there are powers and principalities that dwell in the heavenly realms. There's spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realm and they're fighting and they're resisting against the will of God and the work of God. There are strongholds you're up against that you can't even see. There are things you're battling. They're not on your prayer list. You know nothing about it outside of a revelation from the Spirit of God. And the angel is saying, Daniel, you, you, you prayed and you kept praying and you fasted. And it's a good thing you did because you thought you were having a hard time overcoming your appetite. You should have seen what I was up against. I was having a hard time. I was fighting against the principalities of the heavenly realm. I was in a spiritual battle. But guess what? After 21 days, breakthrough came. Deliverance came. And for Daniel, the word of God and the direction about his future came. So I want to challenge you, church, to step into a new rhythm, to step into a season of fasting, a spiritual exercise from March 7th to the 27th. Now let me say this before we close. A Daniel fast is not doctrine. It's a principle. I'm, I'm not trying to take us back into the old covenant today. I'm not trying to take us back into Old Testament dietary laws and create some New Testament law. I, I was thinking this week about what it would look like if we actually tried to live under New Testament law. I could just imagine some mommy blogger out there writing about the John the Baptist fast. <laughs> when you love that one? That's the one where you just eat locusts and wild honey. Like that's, that's the John the Baptist diet. Anybody want that one? No, no, me neither. Okay. No takers there. Listen, the Daniel fast is not a doctrine. It's a principle in the word of God. It's a pattern for us to follow. It's moving into a season of spiritual discipline a season of new rhythms. It's pursuing vertical solutions to horizontal problems. Now I know that in 30 minutes I could never articulate all of the biblical foundation of fasting or adequately explain what this fast will look like. So we put some resources together. And we've got a packet of information that we want to make available to you. Our ushers will pass them out on your way out the door. You can grab one. But it's got some practical help 
to lead you into this. And, and, and the first page is, is really where we're going to begin with, with prayer. Because the question that I want you to wrestle with right now is simply this. What, what am I believing God for? What table of compromise do I need to push back from in this season? Maybe there's some areas of your life that you, you, it's just been unchecked. And honestly, it's been easy because that's the way the world has gone. That's the way that the culture is tilted. But, but you're sensing the Holy Spirit convicting your heart right now to say, I got to push back from that table. And to discipline my life in this rhythm, I'm going to push back from another table. I'm going to deny my physical appetite to develop a spiritual appetite for the things of God. What is the area of your life where you're sensing the Lord, maybe like Joshua, wants you to just draw a line in the sand, say, I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. Maybe it's a habit in your life. Maybe it's an addiction. You haven't been able to overcome it, but by disciplining your life and fasting, God's going to let that be the gateway to break through in a different stronghold. Putting down the Oreos is one thing, but man, putting down cigarettes, that's been impossible. God wants to give you a new rhythm. I want you to ask yourself right now, what is the field that God's calling me to stand in like Shama? And say, I I'm not giving up any more ground to the enemy in this area of my life. Not another season is going to go by where I lose out on the things that God, God promised are mine in Christ Jesus. Today I take my stand and I believe God's going to give me a victory. On this paper, the first thing that you're going to see is identify you know, a lot of times we don't get what we want from God for one reason. We don't know what we want from God. The prophet said, write the vision, make it plain. So I want to challenge you to take some time to pray. Again, we're not starting this today because you need to prepare. So the first step is identify. The second step is prepare. <clears throat> and there's some steps there to prepare spiritually and to prepare emotionally, but also to prepare physically. Truthfully, I think it's unwise to just feel inspired in a moment or in an altar and say, that's it, I'm fasting, throw lunch away. No, you need to prepare. So there's some steps to lead you in that. <clears throat> and then there's a whole grocery list. Now, we live in a modern day of technology, and so let me just say, there are so many ideas and suggestions that you can find on the internet that we didn't even bother trying to put all the Daniel fast items in this packet. But we did create a page on our website. So if you go to rightsvillechurch.com, you can click the tab, Daniel fast. There's, there's a file folder there and it's got links to, to recipes and, and meals and ideas to help you. Why? Because we want you to, to be successful in this rhythm. And then the last page is for kids. So if you've got kids living in your home, whether teenagers or, or children, I want to encourage you to lead them as a family into a new rhythm of pursuing the Lord. Now, I recognize it's going to look different for a, a six-year-old than it does for an adult. I mean, how many of you know the goal should not be that at the end of 21 days, your kids say, I hate church. <laughs> I, hate, I hate Jesus. I hate the Bible. Uh, give me my goldfish back. Like, how many of you know that's bad parenting? So use wisdom. You have to make some adjustments. You have to add some things in that you're saying, you know, I'm not going to eat that, but you know what? We're going we're gonna to cook that for the kids. Well, lead your family. Lead your family into this discipline, into this rhythm 
of seeking and pursuing the God. Other people, you've, you've got health conditions that, that, that you're gonna have to make adjustments and that's all right. But we're gonna take the next two weeks and we're gonna prepare our bodies, we're gonna prepare our spirit, we're gonna prepare our minds. We're gonna believe. We're gonna do things we've never done because we're gonna see God do things we've never seen. And so I wanna ask if you just bow your head with me right now, I wanna pray for you. God, I pray for every person that's hearing this message, watching it online. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now about those things that we need to bring before your throne. Those things that, Lord God, we need to believe you for. God, make clear to us. For some of us, it's very personal. Maybe others are just feeling a call on a national level to stand in the gap and to intercede. God, we pray that you would let your Holy Spirit burden us right now to pray, to fast, to stand in the gap. Tell us right now where we need to put our stake in the ground to make a resolution that says, I will not defile my convictions to honor God. Lord, thank you that you're gonna help us by your spirit to, to grow in this grace, to to move at your pace. Thank you for a rhythm for our lives that honors you and that is for our good. So God, we receive right now the call of your Holy Spirit to lead us and direct us, order our steps in Jesus' name. And all God's people said amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with